Hi, I'm Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Diane Nam. Uh, Diane is an author and filmmaker. Today we're talking about her book, Latkes and Lefsa. Awesome talk. Awesome focus. And it's going to make you hungry, too. And uh, want to say hi to your grandparents. Good stuff. Thanks for listening. And oh, by the way, it'd be so cool if you uh, thought about helping out the podcast, because here are a couple ways you could. One of the ways is just tell a friend. You know, you could share the links and say, hey, here's a podcast y'all listen to. That would be so cool. Uh, another way would be to go to my website and leave a review view and subscribe. And, and finally, how about click on the link on my website homepage to buy me a coffee? Uh, when you do this, you could donate a dollar or two to help me address the costs associated with producing the podcast. That'd be so cool. You're awesome. Enjoy the show. The latkes portion is the uh, potato pan, the fried potato pancake that uh, is served generally at Hanukkah, um, fried in the oil that commemorates the eight days of Hanukkah. And the fact that the oil burns for those eight days, um, generally served with sour cream or applesauce or jelly or nothing at all. Um, and as my grandchildren say, they're delicious. It's the Education Podcast, your favorite show, with lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up the tin and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Steve Milletto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12, ah, ah, with Dotsty Maletto. Diane Nam is an author and filmmaker with over 20 years of experience in creating stories that inspire, educate, and entertain audiences across different media platforms. She is the founder and owner of Lady of the Canyon, All Media, a production company that develops and produces original projects for film and television, uh, such as Finding Hope, The Sacrifice, and Telemafia. Her Passion is to bring classic and contemporary stories to life through engaging and interactive formats such as books, plays, and films. She has written and published over 65 children's books and young adult novels, as well as adapted and directed stage productions of works by Charles Dickens, Beatrix Potter, O. Henry, Mark Twain, and Walter Dean Myers. She has also written, directed, and produced award-winning films that explore social issues, human rights, and cultural diversity. She is a member of the Authors Guild, the Dramatists Guild, and Women in Film, and she is always looking for new ways to connect with readers and viewers. Uh, Diane, thanks so much for being on the show today, and say hi to everyone. Hi, everyone. Thanks. Well, glad that you're here, and let's start with this, because in a minute we're going to be talking about your book, Latkes and Lefsa. And uh, But before we, we get there, um, as a former children's book editor, could you share how books for children have evolved over the past few decades? Um, sure. Although I'm not an expert. That's all right. <laughs> um, uh, I've noticed that over time, the, the, um, the fact that females are role models, the fact that social issues are more accessible and more available and things that people talk more about, uh, that's kind of entered the platform of, so, of children's books as well, which has been great. I think it's really expanded the um, subject matter and it's also made um, more children see themselves in the stories that have been published. Very cool. The, uh, um, yeah, there's, uh, 
any number of uh, books that are there. One of the things that amazes me over the last bunch of years is how prolific the the amount that's available if if you can take advantage of it and uh, and make sure that it. I mean, it's there. It's it's just amazing how many are writing and producing. Uh, so tell me, what's the key to writing a child's book? I mean, so I've read a lot of books and worked with different authors who've written children's books and. And I, and I have my share of the ones I've read in the past. And then when my own kids were certain ages, reading to them and then uh, uh, seeing the books they chose and working with kids. My, I mean, I've been in public education for a long time. And, and uh, you know, one of the things that really stands out is that sometimes uh, some books are a little too heavy with the sentences and words or they mean well in what they've written. But it's kind of it's like a little too thick or dense. I don't know how else to, to say it. Uh, any thoughts about this? Um, well, I think uh, I don't have any comments about how other people do things, but what I try to do in each of the books, uh, depending upon the premise for each story, is uh, write something where the child can always see him or herself in the story, uh, proudly see themselves in the story. And then for the adult, I try to make it so that on some level, it's interesting to the adult. They learn something or they find out something even about themselves or their child. Um, so that if thankfully the child likes to read my book again and again and again and again, the adult isn't unhappy or hostile about the fact that they have to do that because to them it's still as interesting the first time as it was, you know, the gazillionth time. Um, and so, you know, depending on the story that you're telling, either you use, you rely on the pictures, you rely on the words, and hopefully there's a really great blend of both so that, again, a child of any age and an adult of any, <laughs> of any persuasion is interested in reading the story again and again. I love that. That's uh you know, and it's it, it's so obvious, even with uh, children's books, because uh, adults uh, um, will want to, you know, it's okay if their child says again, you know, you can say, all right, we'll go through this one again. I can, I can think of a couple <laughs> different uh, um, books that are that are like that over the time with the kids. That those don't, you're good with that, as opposed to, oh, not this one again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, you know, we've all had that experience. <laughs> yes, gotta love it. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think? I mean, you've written over 65 children's books. I mean, could you share what you feel is, you know, do you have like, do you, is there a, a, a key to good storytelling that you think needs to be there that, that helps? Cause we've talked a little bit about, you know, how the adults feel and how the kids feel and stuff like this, but uh, what's, when you're talking about storytelling, what do you think that key is? Um, for me, uh, I was very much influenced in storytelling by fairy tales and mythology, those were the stories I read really young. And I think, so for me, the fact that there's always, there's always something that needs to be solved, some problem that needs to be overcome. And in general, it's best if the child is the one who does it. Um, because in that way, a child feels more powerful having come up with a solution and, and either outsmarting an adult or assisting an adult. It depends, on, as I said, on what the story is. But in Latkes and Lefsa, um, I use the idea that a child could problem solve a restriction that seemed arbitrary. 
Um, and in doing so, both follow the restriction and subvert the restriction at the same time by embracing a diversity in his own heritage. So that to me, uh, and actually all three of the main characters help in that plan. And so I think it's always great if there's a plan um, that unfolds while a child is reading or while an adult is reading to a child that they're waiting to see what will happen. That's cool. That's, uh, you know, as, as an adult, that's some of the things I like the best too. <laughs> as a kid, I like that. And as a, <laughs> an adult, it's like, yes, that's, that's what I'm looking for. I, I like that stuff. You know, it, it, you know, our focus today, like you talked about is, is your book, Lakas and Lefse. Um, let's, let's go ahead and give us a brief summation of Lakas and Lefse and, and, and especially what, what they are. <laughs> and, uh, and then let's, let's kind of go from there. I mean, and by the way, which really tastes better? You know, I don't know. Uh, it depends on which one you're eating, I think. If you're eating <laughs> the lapis, then they taste better. If you're eating the lefsa, then they taste better. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're both probably pretty good. Um, the latkes portion is the uh, potato pan, the fried potato pancake that uh, is served generally at Hanukkah. Um, fried in the oil that commemorates the eight days of Hanukkah and the fact that the oil burns for those eight days. Um, generally served with sour cream or applesauce or jelly or nothing at all. Um, and as my grandchildren say, they're delicious. Nice. Um, but they also say that about lefsa. <laughs> and, and lefsa is actually a Norwegian uh, tradition Um it's like a traditional flatbread. It's been served since the Vikings because the, when you make the dough, it really it, it stores well and you can carry it with you and you can bake it wherever you go. Um, these days, uh, it's served in my grandchildren's household as a dessert. So um, it's also made with potato and it's fried, but then it's rolled up very quickly and then it's sprinkled with sugar and and you know then decorated with butter, and uh, I haven't had it myself, but I hear tell that that is equally delicious to latkes. <laughs> nice, very nice. Someone who uh, has uh, I have my uh, on my dad's side. Uh, my grandparents came from Italy, brought over when they were young, and so growing up. And on my mom's side, they were um, they were uh, Scottish um, who. who immigrated to the u.s and uh so we have different things that happen we had a lot of stews on the scottish side and uh and on the italian side we had a lot of homemade pasta homemade bread and uh um and one of my all-time favorite desserts called cannolis <laughs> um, mine too as a matter of fact nice, nice. That's, <laughs> you know, i got it that's and the messier the better you know with a little powder sugar all over your face <laughs> It's but, true. Cannolis are the best. Yes, <laughs> you got that right. The, uh, <laughs> um, so what inspired you to write this book? Um, to be honest, my daughter and I were speaking when she was collecting recipes for um, a multicultural uh, cookbook at her children's school. And she said, I'd like your latkes recipe, and I'm going to ask my mother-in-law for her lefse recipe. And I said, huh, latkes and lefse. That sounds like a title of a book. And then I, I proceeded to write one. Um, so it's not a true story, but it could have been. And um, basically, uh, my 
grandchildren were the inspiration for the main characters. And since problem solving is something they do all the time, I the problem I gave them was um, that the principal of their school said they're having a holiday feast, but since they all attend the same school as a family, they can only do one holiday and bring in only one type of food. And that didn't sit well with them because their favorite foods were both latkes and lapsa. Nice. And so they figure out a way to make it work. That's awesome. <laughs> That's, uh, I, you know, silly adults. Haven't they ever learned that when you say something <laughs> so definitive like that, that there's going to be a reason why you shouldn't have? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Nice. But it's a fictional principle. It's not the real principle. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. The uh, uh, All right, so, yeah, 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 but I've had that experience, <laughs> too, in reality. So, um, but, uh, cool, I, I like that. I like that storyline. So, you know, one of the things that, uh, um, you know, you, you're hitting on here is this whole idea of sharing, um, you know, something that's, that's traditional or something from, you know, the background or, from their heritage, uh, you know, uh, let's go into that just a little bit more. I mean, how can f- families of multiple faiths come together to celebrate the holidays? Uh, well, you know, I kind of used, um, I kind of used a, a quote from Mr. Rogers, from Fred Rogers, nice. who was the wisest of, of educators at an early time, I think. And he said, I just want to get the quote right, so I'm going to read it. We want to raise our children so that they can take a sense of pleasure in both their own heritage and the diversity of others. And so I think that if what we recognize about holidays and the fact that foods, childhood memories of celebrations and gatherings with family, and the fact that we like to spend time together doing that, and that's what makes up our childhood memories, is the very thing we all have in common. And yes, there are different reasons that we celebrate, and there are different ways in which we celebrate, and foods and times. But the universal human element is, this is how humans celebrate with each other. This is how we create our memories. And to respect that about all of us is, I think, a way to recognize we have more in common then we have things that divide us. You know, I love that because uh, it's, you know, one of the things, as a a former high school principal, um, one of the things that someone long ago taught me is that when there's angst going on, and you know it, coming into this meeting, whatever the meeting is that you're about to have um, with the family, the parents, whoever it is, um, is to try and get to a common ground, which should be the children. (laughs) Should be yes. yes. And if, you, if you can get there, get back to there, then uh, you know you can usually put aside the angst so you can get to whatever the a possible common solution is to whatever the problem. Sure. And I, I think a lot of times that's school, but I think a lot of times you know family issues and all kinds of stuff. That's one of the. It's like uh, they forget about the the children. Right. I mean, that's the world. The world is that we should all be looking for ways in which we can both respect each other and live together because we all inhabit this earth. And that's <laughs> that's the bottom line. We don't have any place else to go, at least not at the moment. Uh, yeah, exactly. And 
And uh, who knows? Maybe AI will be taking over. Any- <laughs> Never mind. Just had, had to throw that. Gosh, out. I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the, uh, you know, I, I really hope it doesn't either. Um, all right. So, um, you know, let's talk a little bit about this. I mean, you start talking about the, the whole idea with the mixed heritages and, uh, can you, t- can you talk about how a, a child of parents with mixed heritages might choose, you know, what to identify with or what to embrace? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I mean, as I, as I said originally with Mr. Rogers' quote, I think that you can both respect the fact that your family may come from mixed heritages and, and try to figure out a way to combine them. In Latkes and Lefsa, the main characters, all three of them, figure out a way. They rack their brains, and then they use the internet, and then they come up with the perfect way of combining their heritages so that they can satisfy this restriction of bringing only one food and celebrate only one holiday. That's not as easy to do in every heritage, (laughs) and it's not as possible to come up with a a made-up holiday, um, whereas they found an actual holiday that combines their heritages. Um, But I... I, my daughter came up with a really good plan, um, which is she has this seasonal rotation of books that are holiday-themed or um, specifically geared to the season, depending upon what month it is. And so the kids don't get tired of reading those books or having those books read to them because they only get to see them, you know, one month a year. Nice. So in the course of that month, if there are holidays that fall through it, then she has books that pertain to those holidays, even though they're not, you know, necessarily the holidays we celebrate. So there's an appreciation for all types of holidays, not just your own and not just the few that you may celebrate in your own family, whether it's a single heritage or a multi-heritage family. And I think that that way of sort of looking at each month as a celebration of something and the stories that tell about those some things is, um, is a way of bringing a lot of diversity into your experience and creating an appreciation and a respect. And again, stressing the commonality or the universality of needing to, needing to gather community in order to be able to celebrate something. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. I, you know, it's, uh, um, having, uh, as a as a kid, hung out with my both my grandfathers. They lived in different parts of the country, and so when we visited the one, the one we lived down the street from for a while, but uh, I was both their buddies. All right. Now, my in my case, my grandmothers were the rule makers and the rule enforcers. Okay, so I wasn't hanging out with them. <laughs> I was hanging out with sure. the, I was hanging out with the rule breakers, which were their husbands. <laughs> <laughs> and I, sometimes I think, look back on it, and I think, were they using me as an excuse? <laughs> but I, just, I don't. Think I think they, they were probably using you for protection. Yeah, probably, probably, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and it was quite fun because I, I hung out with them, and they, they introduced me to their friends, and took me on little journeys and stuff like this, and their little adventures, and uh, um, and it, it was just, it was really quite amazing. And uh, you know, my. Uh, in, in the case of my Italian grandparents, they would actually, if they got into a little <laughs> battle, it would have they would switch to Italian <laughs> when they realized <laughs> I was standing right there. But the sure. uh, um, <laughs> but my point is is 
is not that. It was so one of the things that uh, um, both my grandmothers did quite a bit was prepare meals and uh, have specialties that they cooked and, and prepared and and, uh, um, and and I mean the house smelling like bread was just it was just like oh, oh my gosh and uh, <laughs> you know I have uh, this uncle today who still makes all this type of stuff and it's I love visiting him because it's like you know it's, it's just him in the house but it's like all right you made some bread today didn't you or you made whatever and um, sure. what a cool thing can you talk a little bit about you know when we talk about uh, family, kind of the importance that family can play in, in you know, just passing on what what they do and what they did and what their what their family heritage is all about. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, well, I mean, as you said, you can smell your you can smell your childhood when you walk into your uncle's house because he's making things from your childhood that signified a celebration and a coming together with your family. And I mean, that's I, I think that's just who human beings are. <laughs> and so, in my book, I have the recipe for latkes in the front pages, and I have the recipe for lefsa which you can serve more as a dessert at the end of the book. And um, I just think that knowing that knowing those recipes, I put them in the book so that not only are they in the cookbook for the kids' school, but now everybody can have them. (laughs) And so if you're interested in, in developing new foods to celebrate things with, this is, this is my, my gift to the world. (laughs) And to my own grandchildren. And I think that, of course, the memories of my grandmother cooking and my husband's grandmother cooking, because I knew him back then. And, you know, the the kids watching us cook now is just something, again, that uh, being human is what you do. You cook for everyone. We all love food. We all love the smell of food. We all love what it means. Everyone knows that when you're roasting a turkey, that means Thanksgiving colonial aspects notwithstanding and so you know there's just an association of smells and tastes and and fun and love that goes with holidays and um that's that's what we all do it's universal and it's so magical because it's like even you know and especially from a kid's point of view because a lot of of times you don't know what the dynamics of the adults (laughs) it's going on but uh, like uh, one of my Remember, I hung out with my grandfathers, right? And uh, and uh, so one of the things that would always happen was uh, there were these uncles. <laughs> I, I have some wonderful stories about some goofy uncles and that I, I loved hanging out with, too. Like I had one who, uh, um, when the one, my mom's sister's husband, there we go, <laughs> all right? Um, and uh, he taught when, that, when her sister's, I mean, she had a, um, her first child, when the child got old enough, so at Thanksgiving and Christmas time, when he's coming to visit with you know his wife and the child, and uh, he's teaching his sister's child, uh, his sister-in-law's child, that the uh, um, anything round is a frisbee. All right, <laughs> <laughs> and I have these awesome memories because one Thanksgiving at the dinner table. The child remembered all this and sees the plate with the green beans on it. <laughs> he's flinging, he's flinging plates, frisbee, frisbee, you know. 
right? Yeah, that was that goofy <laughs> uncle, or he never knew what he was going to come up with, and and uh, you know, it's just any number of things. One of you know, I, I one of the things that your book makes me think about is that uh, it's just you know, if you could just some families they just put aside some of the problems and just hang out with each other because that's some of the coolest stuff when uh, you know you. Just, Never know what's going to come about. I had the the one grandfather who showed me with my walkie-talkie that I could. You know, obviously, this is the type of technology that existed <laughs> in the day. Right. But there was a there was a TV antenna that was attached to the side of the roof, and uh, on all came all the way down the ground. It was a big tri triangle type thing, and I'll I can share another about that in just a minute because he <laughs> he and I were constantly getting in trouble. Both my grandfathers had this <laughs> way of getting in trouble, but the he. Uh, um, he showed me Sounds that. Sounds like the, you should write a book about that. I probably should, yes. <laughs> you to, if you took out the antenna on the walkie-talkie and you touched it to the end, the part where the cables from the TV coming from it, inside the house attached to it, you just touched it on there, you could make your voice come across the TV set. <laughs> really? Yes. And uh, That's awesome. It was awesome. It was awesome. And it was, and, uh, it was one of those things where... Uh, um, yeah, that uh, um, basically went something like this. Chuck, stop teaching him how to do stuff like that. <laughs> Dinner's ready. Because cause then that, that that whole antenna, remember I told you, it, looked, it was like a ladder. He showed me how he uses it to climb up on the roof. And so the two of us would climb up on the roof. You know, <laughs> um, and my, my other grandfather, it's one of those things that you go out and you, you go visit people and you go do do things, and you just never knew when we were going to be, uh, you know, where the trip was going to take us. But it took us to all these different little, um, all these cronies that were all over the place. And uh, um, you get, uh, and that was cool, because um, all of them were these, um, none of them were tall. So all of them were short Italian guys, and they're sitting around talking about, you know, everything from, um, all right, so, uh, you know, so-and-so passed away, so that means there's two more coming, you know. <laughs> it all happens in threes. Um. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds to me like adventures with my grandpa and whatever else you may have called the other grandpa. Oh, they're both sounds like a uh, well. Sounds uh, adventures with my grandpa sounds like a like a book to me. I think you're right. I just, you may just talk me into that. I don't. But I I think what's what's sad is when families are missing some of that type of stuff, or that the time doesn't exist to do that, or they don't make the time to do that, and uh, or things. Sure happened too soon. And I, that's what your book makes me think of is all the cool things. Cause I mean, I, I never was real fond of uh, trying to cook and I wish I had been because my dad was a heck of a cook and made sauces um, that would take him a couple days to perfect and whatever. And then he'd freeze a bunch of it, but uh, it's just, just cool stuff. And I think that, uh, you know, it kind of takes me back. I'm not sponsored by Coca-Cola, <laughs> but a little, <laughs> but a okay. long, but a long time a time ago in the 70s they had one of the coolest commercials where they uh they used the song uh like to buy the the world a coke like to teach the, the world, world to sing there it is there yeah. it is yeah and uh yeah in perfect harmony there you go that, and, see i guess that influenced me too because i wish the world would learn to sing in harmony too <laughs> and that's where i was going with that is that that's exactly it that's what you're talking about and uh Sometimes it's just all, all that good stuff that uh, when families can share with each other, just the things that, uh, <laughs> the good times and all that stuff. They, uh, um, you know, one of the, uh, you know, one of, 
the, I just can't say enough about that. I think it's just so cool. Do you have a Do you have a hope or a message that you're hoping people take um, take away that uh, I may have already revealed? <laughs> but uh, I think I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect <laughs> harmony. Is 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 is. is, is the title for this episode. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. You know, it's it's uh, it's such a it's such a good feel good sort of thing because you know with all the you know, families have their own issues <laughs> and and they come out and everything from divorces to you know someone not talking to somebody forever and that sort of stuff because right. lo and behold I got those going on in my world and and uh, in my family's world and it's but it's you know you try and figure out how to come back together and remember all that all that, that good stuff so um cool stuff yeah i uh yeah I, I love it so do you have a favorite grandparent story um do i have a favorite grandparent or, or relative well, uncle aunt you know <laughs> grandmother something something connecting you with um my my childhood was pretty much filled with family visits because, you know, you said your grandfather lived a few blocks away. Well, my mother's grandparent, my mother's parents lived a few blocks away all my life because they always helped um, to take care of us because my mother was working full time as well as my father. Um, my father's parents weren't alive when I was growing up, but he had seven brothers and sis and a sister. Nice. So they too lived within a few, not all of them, but a lot of them lived within a few blocks of where we were. So the weekends were spent with my grandparents on Saturdays. And then on Sundays, my father would take my sister and me to my uncle's house where he had a ping pong table and where so everybody gravitated to his house. And we spent all day Sundays having family ping pong tournaments. And we were the youngest of all of the nieces and nephews who were there. And so it was fairly competitive. So I learned how to play ping pong pretty well. Nice. And, <laughs> and my aunt, who was the, um, the, the, the female representative of the family, uh, was always cooking. Uh, she made all sorts of things that, you know, were like the thing I waited to, to have on Sundays because she was such a good cook. So I think like everybody, there's just a, a centering around the person who makes the food and the person who has something fun to do. And then your family is just all part of whatever that life, you know, whatever that household is, is providing. And I think, I think we should all have more of that. I know that everybody kind of has moved away from being near extended family because we all have busy lives and we all have places to be and careers to follow. But I think it's worthwhile trying to make room in your life, either on vacations or as part of a regular visitation, to have that extended family be there because then you do build memories and not only do you build memories, but you build repertoire of skills like ping pong and foods like latkes. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. That's awesome. You get, uh, what it, you know, good stuff. I mean, cause now you got me thinking about all kinds of goofy things that, <laughs> that, uh, you know, if it hadn't been for hanging out and I'm glad my, my own children haven't been able to, uh, cause my, my parents passed away, um, long before they, um, they have no memories of them, but the, uh, right. my wife's parents, on the other hand, 
they've they've been awesome with him and uh, uh, you know every year you went to grandma's house type thing and uh, and uh, celebrated there and all the good stuff that comes with that and uh, and so they have all these these great stories between the two of them and I think um, um, that that's uh, just a cool thing and I wish that uh, more people could experience those you know <laughs> take time out <laughs> and just you know there's every yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of anger and anxiety and fear are the sorts of things that families and that we as human beings in our communities were meant to be, um, you know, remedied from or saved from because we have those people to rely on. And I think that a lot of the people who spend most of their time being angry don't have that kind of support system and don't have the um, don't have the foundation where love and community and experiences and time was given and and things like that and I I wish that weren't so. <laughs> I hear that, boy, do I hear that. That's uh, so much so. Um, it, Diane, we're we're getting ready to wrap up, but uh, before we go, if someone wanted to follow up and connect with you and learn more, where would you send them? Um, I have a, a bunch of websites. Um, I do have a Facebook page, although I, I admittedly don't check it that much. Um, but I uh, do have a LinkedIn profile, and I do communicate with people sometimes that way. You can also write to me at dnam, N-A-M-M, at ladyofthecanyon.com, which is my production company website. Um, and then you can sort of... If you wanted to just order the books, you can order them from Amazon or pick them up at Barnes & Noble or go to latkesandlefsa.com. So I'm, I'm, I'm reachable all of those ways. <laughs> Very nice. I'll make sure that information is in the show notes so it makes it easy for people to to go find you. And I, I got two last questions that I like to ask my guests. And uh, they're just general questions. And the first one goes like this. How do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? You may want to say, I'm done. That's a great question, and I'm not sure that I know a complete answer. Um, my father used to say when people called him stubborn, he's not stubborn, he's just persistent. Nice. And I feel that he has genetically transmitted that to me, and that persistence is just my nature. And so I keep writing because that's just the only thing I'm really I can do. <laughs> uh, you know, if I was good at numbers, I would have been something in the math field, but I'm not. So this is what I do. And so on any given day, I'll write something um, because it makes me feel better. And generally, it's not something that ever sees the light of day, but it's something that I was thinking about or that I think that I could remedy. And so I'll just write it down. That's cool. I like that. Uh, last question. <laughs> Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? You know, I've thought about that. And I, I mean, there were certainly, from the beginning and the end of the spectrum, two people who I think really made a difference. Um, my first grade teacher was Mrs. Sitzman. She has long since left this world, but she was the most energetic 
and enthusiastic and supportive person that I had ever encountered in my short little time as a, <laughs> in school. Nice. Um, and she impacted not just me, but also my mother, because she, she inspired my mother to return to um, her education and then get to a point where she got her master's and then become part of the school system as well. So I'd say Mrs. Sitzman was my first impactful teacher. And then when I was at the University of Michigan getting my master's in English, uh, my um, the professor that mattered the most to me, because he was also my advisor, he's also not with us any further, but his name was James Gindin. And he was just a magnificent intelligence that was so inspiring to listen to. He had this really great speaking voice and he had such insight and so much to, to add to the literature that we studied that I just thought to myself, I've never even really thought about these different elements that he brought to light just as a very matter of fact sort of thing. So I think that I was just lucky enough to meet him at the end of my schooling and Mrs. Sitzman at the beginning of my schooling. And um, I guess I managed, I muddled through everywhere else in between. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Thanks. Thanks for sharing those. I, I, I think it's neat when you ask that question and it does make people think, especially sometimes they go, well, I got to decide here, you know, it's, and, uh, and it, so it's nice to hear about, Several of them, especially, you know, because we... I never decide. I always I always include. <laughs> nice. I like that. I like that. That's so cool. That's so cool. I, uh, Diane, thank you so much for sharing your book, Lakas and Lefza. By the way, <laughs> I'm now very hungry. I could, I just, <laughs> I, I, well, if you have the book, the recipes are at your fingertips. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. So I, I will be trying... I had Lakas before. I'm going to have to have Lefza. So I, I've... Uh, but... Uh, um, this has been awesome. I mean, you got me thinking about family and all the good stuff right there and uh, how we could all, you know, teach each other to uh, share a smile or two and, uh, and maybe sing a song or two as well. Um, <laughs> and eat some good, uh, good and traditional eat together. foods. And eat together. You got that right. Um, wish you the best in all you do. I wish you too. And happy holidays. Happy holidays. Take care. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right. The opinions expressed on Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.